This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby, who's a papal missionary of mercy, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina. He's an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College and a senior contributor to the Crux News site. Host, uh, there's so much here, host of the Daily Devotional, The Morning Offering with Father Kirby and host of the podcast, Truth Be Bold. We've got links to those over on our social media over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Father Kirby has authored several books, including the one we're talking about today, Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word in Your Life Today. It's available on our Sunday Visitor. Father Kirby, thank you so much for being with us today. It's good to be on the show. Thank you for the invitation. So we all are familiar with the um, charge levied against us, the trope that Oh, Catholics, they don't know scripture. They don't, they don't read the Bible. And we hear that all the time, but I've even seen some Catholics who use that kind of as an identifying mark. And they, uh, they yes. maybe use it to kind of joke about it. It's like, yeah, I don't have to know where that is in the Bible. I'm Catholic. Um, so first, maybe respond to that, that idea. I mean, we hear scripture all the time at Mass. We've got we get multiple readings if we go to daily mass. Uh, and so we hear so much of scripture that we're familiar with it. We know the mm-hmm. the the shape and the form and the echoes and the seasons of scripture. But um the idea of actually sitting down with the Bible, many Catholics look at and say, Well, that's that's not something that's part of our spirituality. How would you respond to that? <laughs> yes. So first thank you for the opportunity to respond to that. Um so first if we start in-house when Catholics, you know, say, Oh, I, I don't need to read the Bible, I'm I'm Catholic or or these type of things. And um, you know, they think they're being funny or cute, uh, or or trying to you know dodge the the challenge of why aren't you reading the Bible? Yeah, you know, I, I just go to the biblical principle that when when people say things like that, um, you know, what they're claiming as their glory is actually their shame. Which is, as disciples of the Lord, like we should be regularly reading the Scriptures, especially as Catholic Christians with the fullness of the Christian faith. So, so first to Catholics who who say such things, I just want to. Exposed to them and 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 let them know that they are showing really an aspect of, of their shame in terms of, of their own discipleship. That this is something that you know the Lord constantly says in His His ministry: Have you not read? Do you not know? Have you not heard? He expects His disciples to know the Scriptures. So so that's in house in terms of our, our fellow Catholics. In terms of our 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 neighbors who maybe look and say, oh, you know, the Catholics aren't reading the Scriptures; they don't know the Bible. I, I will say that with all things said and done. Um, recent research research has actually shown that the average Catholic actually knows more of the Bible than the average Protestant. Now, in large part because of our liturgical cycle of readings. Like mm-hmm. sometimes our Catholic uh, fellow believers don't realize that, you know, in the evangelical tradition, the pastor might choose a particular book of the New Testament, book of Romans, a letter of Romans is, is a favorite one, of course. And, and that's it. That's all they get for months or even a year. That's all they're studying or all they're hearing from. Whereas at a Catholic Mass, you hear from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms. Then, of course, you know, there's this beautiful liturgical, biblical harmony uh, throughout the, the ordinary parts of the Mass. So there's a lot of Scripture being given to Catholics. Now, with that said, so most Catholics know more of the Bible than the average Protestant. But it's also... Play the level, play, play, play the uh, level the playing field here. In that, 
we know that the average Catholic, if you, if you were to ask them, well, where is that in the Bible? So they know some account or some event or some person from the scriptures. You know, wh wh where is that? Well, they wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> Right? They wouldn't know what book, what chapter. Um, it's an advent, of course. Everyone knows this. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so there's work to be done. But I also just want to affirm our fellow Catholics in that they probably know more of the Bible than what they think they do. And, and I want them to, to hear that and, and to have that kind of encouragement to then say, oh, okay, um, yeah, then I can— start trying to read the Bible, try to, to navigate this, try to understand. Because in large part, my experience has been people know they're supposed to read the Bible. Uh, even Catholic Christians who might joke otherwise, they, they know they're supposed to read the Bible. What happens is we get intimidated because, you know, this is the Bible. You know, this is the Word of God. But once we start pointing out, you already know a lot of the events and the more uh, popular personages and the narratives of the Scriptures. You, you know a lot of this. And, and once people maybe get beyond that intimidation, then they might be more inclined to say, oh, okay, well, where do I start? What do I do? Mm -hmm. Let's, before we get into the, the overview and the introduction and the, the way that we look at Scripture, I think another thing that I've seen somewhat generationally and also somewhat culturally, depending on uh, what part of the world a person comes from, is the misunderstanding of what the church speaks of when she says that the church is the authentic interpreter of scripture. So I've seen so many people from multiple parts of the world who say, I'm not allowed to read the Bible. I've, even, I've heard oh. the charge levied externally and internally. I'm not allowed to read the Bible because that's the church's job. The church is the authentic interpreter. And so I need to not do that. Um, can you clear up that misconception for us? What, is the, what does the church mean when she says that the magisterium is the authentic interpreter of Scripture? Yes, yes. You know, and, and oftentimes if people quote that that particular you know maxim from theology that the magisterium is the interpreter of, of the Scriptures. They forget the maxim that precedes that, which is that the magisterium is in service to the Word of God. So the, the magistrate interprets the uh, Word of God as its servant. And, and I think that's so important because it's like, well, we are approaching the Scriptures. I mean, it's beautiful in, in Vatican II's dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, uh, known by the Latin expression Dei Verbum, that it starts with the Church in a posture of receptivity, that the Church kneels before the Word of God as it's the recipient of this word from God, right? And, and I think we start with that because then when people say, well, I don't have to read the Bible because, you know, the, the, you know, the magisterium is in charge of that and so on. Well, wait, first let's back up is, you know, when we speak in these terms, um, the church will oftentimes use the expression the church. And it's worth reminding people that, you know, while there are times when the church is used more broadly, but it means more specifically the magisterium, there are times when the church actually refers to the entire people of God. And Dei Verbum from Vatican II makes it clear that the Word of God is entrusted to the entire church. That, that's all the baptized. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the magisterium has a responsibility as servant to interpret and to apply the Word of God to contemporary times and to our discipleship. But all the people of God are entrusted with the Word of God. So it's funny when people say, well, I don't, I don't need to because, you know, the, that's the church's job. It's like, well, yes, exactly. It's the church's job in this context, yeah. the people of God. So, you know, kind of like, you know, time to step up. And, and I just go back. I, I, I mentioned earlier, but I want to stress how often the Lord in his public ministry asked the disciples, have you not read? 
Have you not heard? How do you understand? And then he will quote some part of scripture. He is relying on his disciples to know the word of God, certainly the Old Testament. And then, of course, the New Testament, which contains his life and teachings. So I think any Catholic that's looking for an opportunity to try to, you know, dodge this aspect of, of discipleship, uh, there's nowhere to hide. I, I remember years ago, someone saying to me, well, you know, I don't I don't I don't read the Bible. I don't read the Bible. Uh, I read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I just had to laugh. I was like, you know, first of all, no, you're not. Like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Well, then you should know that the whole first part of the catechism is how we should be reading the Bible. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there, there's no place to hide. Like, this is a part of our discipleship. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, you're called to study and know the scriptures. You mentioned earlier that there's maybe some intimidation of how do I approach the Bible? How do I, what does this mean if I come across something that I don't understand? Um, I think of it kind of like our, our family dinners. We'll have a conversation around the table. I've got multiple children and inevitably we'll come up to something that they don't understand. And maybe I don't have the answer. They'll say, what, what is it, dad? I say, well, I don't know. They say, well, go ask Siri. Right. There's the, the good news is that someone out there has the information we're looking for. And if you get to a place where you're, you're flummoxed and you don't know how to proceed, that's where we come to that, that statement that the magisterium is the authentic interpreter of scripture. We yes. don't understand this. Let's go to the, the magisterium and, and search out what is the meaning of this thing that is troubling to me that I don't quite understand. Yeah, and to know that the the magisterium does that interpretation application as servant. It's not as if mm -hmm. the the you know the magisterium is is determining or changing the word of God, but is it servant that we can trust that the magisterium under the guidance of the Holy Spirit will interpret and apply the scriptures, the the word of God, as its servant. And and I think mm -hmm. that's so important. And I will say, like, I think that this is a challenge to those who are within the magisterium, you know, so Pope and bishops, you know, to to go back and to be reminded by Vatican II that we are servants, that we approach with a spirit of docility, uh, of openness, that we seek to be taught first. And then those, of course, who are within the magisterium by the guidance of the Holy Spirit then interpret and apply. So I think we can trust the magisterium and to know that, you know, the, you know, the great thing about it is we're the children of God, we're not orphans. So God is not going to leave us in a place of dilemma or confusion, especially when it relates to essential questions that might actually affect our salvation. So certainly the magisterium plays its role as servant in interpreting and applying the Word of God. Let's take one step back, because we've thrown this term out multiple times, and it's a term that gets a lot of use uh, that sometimes we don't necessarily think about what it means, or we assume that our interpretation of the Word is accurate. So let's look at this word magisterium. Because when I first became Catholic and I saw all of these things about, oh, well, the magisterium does this, or the magisterium is the teaching arm of the church, I thought of it as kind of like a group of people that got together and met and like they were the official, uh, invested with the official uh, teaching authority and didn't realize at that time that the magisterium is not only the bishops in union with the Pope, but it's also all of the, the things that the church has taught throughout the ages. It's that that long line of continuation of what is and has always been believed. Yes. Um, and that the current magisterium is it is constrained by the things that the magisterium in the past has already told us. That yes, it absolutely. continues to be a living voice and interpret things for us today that pop up, but it's always in continuity 
with with what the church has always taught. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, we can look and say, you know, there's uh, Dave Verbum again, Vatican II, talks about this this tripod of the sacred scriptures, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And whenever you remove the other two and seek to just have one, so for example, if it's just the scriptures, we have sola scriptura, so the scriptures alone, which, you know, strip the scriptures of its context. Or if we were to say just the magisterium alone, well, then we're ultramontanists, right? As if the Pope is some type of some demigod that has fallen from the skies and 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 is no longer bound by tradition or the scriptures or, you know, by revelation. So Dave Erbom, Vatican II, talks about, you know, this this tripod that's necessary and it's the dynamism between the three. So the scriptures being the written word of God, sacred tradition, that oral tradition that you're describing, the ecumenical councils, the lives of the saints, the creeds, the sacred liturgy, all these aspects that are contained, that, that, that do contain the oral word of God through the generations. And, and and that is just as binding, and some of us Catholics may not realize that it's a complementarity to the sacred scriptures. Like, we need tradition, mm-hmm. otherwise scripture has no context, right? you know? Right. And, 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 and that's where we can fall into where, I mean, even the devil's quoting and manipulating the scriptures, and there's no authority to, to call, you know, that false inter- interpretation out. And then we have the magisterium, which is the servant that then seeks this harmony and and unified interpretation and application of the entire word of God written in oral. And, and we need all three. And the great thing about it is, as Catholic Christians, we've received this from the Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition mm-hmm. sees this balance between oral tradition, between um, uh, written tradition, and between uh, authority. Now, their understanding of authority would be a little different. More broadly, yeah. as, as you were describing, there was a council of elders, like the 70 elders who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek and so on. You know, uh, Whereas in, in the New Covenant, we see it more established where it's definitely successors of the Lord's first followers, first disciples, first apostles, first friends. And, and that continues in more of a, a continuity, uh, continuous fashion than what we found in the Old Covenant. But but all three are needed. And, and I oftentimes tell people, you know, we live in a time, a, a real golden age of Catholic scripture study. It, it's amazing how many things are out there. And, and I've oftentimes said, you know, while praising the good that's being done, and, and I'm so grateful as, as a Christian, as a priest, that we have these resources of, of scripture. But I've often said we, we need to make sure we start balancing this with as much education and formation in terms of sacred tradition, because otherwise, accidentally, we can find ourselves into a, a de facto sola scriptura, where it's just the mm-hmm. scriptures, and forgetting, well, wait a minute, like, <laughs> you know, the scriptures were born from the Christian way of life, from sacred tradition. Like, I, I love how the, the fathers described that as the scriptures are born from, like, I mean, they intended it as a very graphic image, you know, blood, water, and all, just born from the sacred tradition, which is that living out of the sacred scriptures. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, I received as a first importance what I also handed on to you. And, and that's tradition. It's from that tradition that we have the scriptures and God raised them to be equal and complementary to tradition. So now we have these two great resources of the word of God that again are served and interpreted by the magisterium. You, you bring up a point that that I was just about to get to as well, that um, we we tend to forget that yes, scripture and, and tradition are uh, their own streams within, uh, within uh, with their own importance, 
But the only reason that we know which texts are scripture is through tradition, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the apostolic authors, uh, they gave us the New Testament. Yes. Um, but those were collated and collected and presented to us as a church by sacred tradition. Yes, and let me, let me give you this, this story that I, I think just kind of summarizes uh, the, the point we're, we're making. Uh, years ago, when I, when I was a seminary in Rome, uh, my main responsibility was giving uh, tours of St. Peter's Basilica. That was my ministry while I was in the seminary. And by extension, I took on other holy places, and I loved the catacombs uh, of Rome. There are five public catacombs. There are, there are actually more catacombs. There's just five public catacombs. And the only one of the five that's still run by a religious order is the, the Catacomb of Priscilla. And, and I favor that because the sisters really have preserved the prayerfulness of the catacombs. So the other four, they're worth going to, but they've really just become one step above tourism in, in many respects. Mm -hmm. But the Catacomb of Priscilla, it it's very much has preserved the prayerfulness. And in fact, the image of Our Lady from the Catacomb of Priscilla is one of the oldest images we have of Our Lady. It's actually in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, and I love going through the Catacomb of Priscilla, and I love in and, and very much enjoyed taking other people through the catacomb of Priscilla. On one occasion, we had some um, students from a Bible college in the United States who visited, and I walked them through, and I'm showing them, you know, um, here's the image of the bishop presiding at the Eucharist, and here's this image of Our Lady, and here's the Epiphany, and here are the Old Testament figures that are that are prominent, Jonah and Daniel, and so on. And I'm describing all this to them and giving them the history of this community, that this was the, you know, the, the home of, of the holy woman Priscilla, who became a widow because her husband was martyred for the faith. Um, she uh, was honored because of the prominence of the family. She welcomed St. Peter, who preached, baptized, and presided at the Eucharist by Roman tradition uh, there at, at the house church, the Domus, that was over the current catacombs. And I'm describing all this, and at the end of the tour, one of the Bible students says to me, and she was very sincere, you know, she looked at me, she goes, but, but where is this in the Bible, right? You know, and, and, and what made that question so interesting was the Catacomb of Priscilla was one of the communities of St. Mark. Mark was the assistant, the interpreter of St. Peter. So the Catacomb of Priscilla, that community was one of the communities that helped shape what eventually became the gospel of Mark, right? So, mm -hmm. so the idea of that this community, this lived faith guided by the Holy Spirit is what gave birth to the scriptures just wasn't even on the radar. It was, no, 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 no. The, the, the Bible had to be what inspired this community as if the Bible had somehow fallen from the sky and, and, and now has this type of directions on how to create a Christian community as opposed to the opposite, which is, we are living the way of life of the, the way of the way of the Lord Jesus. And in the course of time, portions of the Lord's teachings began to be written down. Aspects of his life began to be written down. Apostolic letters were retained by the apostles that were sent to communities and so on. And the, it is precisely this living out of the Christian way of life that eventually gave birth to the discernment by the early bishops and the canonization of what we now call the New Testament. Like, that just blows people's minds because suddenly the scriptures are placed, I would argue, in their proper context. And mm -hmm. then we realize when we read the scriptures, we're supposed to be living this. Yeah. This is this, this we should read the scriptures and see a reflection 
of our way of life as the two complement each other. Well, and just the idea that the the church existed for a, a great amount of time before the scriptures were written, depending yes. on when you date those scriptures, yes. um, could be as as uh, many as as much as a century before some of those texts were in their hands, yes. and then before the canon as we have it today. Uh, largely, that's looking like what early fifth century, and exactly. Um, so, so this idea that well, I can't be a Christian without the Bible is is <laughs> right. exactly in verse. The Bible is is essential, and we're going to get to that as we talk about your book here in a moment. But first and foremost, it's living in that community uh, of the community of faith, the community of the church that forms us as the people of God that birthed the scriptures to begin with. Yes, very much, and and, and yeah, and I just. I think it makes the scriptures that that intimidation we spoke about earlier that dissolves when suddenly we begin to realize the scriptures were the writing down of the words and deeds of God that had been celebrated by our forebears for generations upon generations and the fact that we really didn't have what we call a New Testament until Nicaea, when it really began to give us a, a full canon, that official list of the scriptures. Up until then, it it, it you know, there was uncertainty. We have some pre-lists like Irenaeus some, and other, some of our early fathers attempt lists of of books that you know had been discerned, but a formal you know formal list, the twenty seven books, what we now regard as the New Testament, really came about around Nicaea three twenty five A.D. It was, uh, it was even later than that. It was Chalcedon in four four twenty five. Oh, that okay. Was, that we okay. get that that we get that list. Yes. Um, so yes. So you can imagine to to your point. It's like if you say I I can't follow the way of the Lord. We can't have Christian communities unless we have the Scriptures. Well, then you've just completely stripped the entire early church, and you have stripped the very communities that give us not only the Scriptures but the principles of discernment to know what really is the Word of God and what is not. I think back to, I'm going to take a, a wide tangent and it's going to bring us right back here. <clears throat> I think back to, as as a child, those moments when um, the, the book of photos was brought out from the drawer, right? And they were put in front of me and I got to see my baby pictures and I got to see family reunion photos and I got to see all of the things. And the stories would then come out of, here's what happened in these various points in your personal history and also in our family history that predate you. Mm. Uh, and so now as a, as a family, as we've all moved towards digital photos, we've got a screensaver on our television that when, uh, when the TV is not actively doing something else, it'll throw up all of these family wow. photos that generate these stories that we tell about our family heritage and our family history and the individual children's place in that. And I think of the scriptures in a very similar way as our part of the family of faith. Yes. It it is the the collection of stories and pictures that help us understand our communal family history and our place in that family history. Yes, yes, and, and, and I very much love that image. In fact, I, I promise you, I'm going to steal that in future preaching. <laughs> You're welcome, absolutely welcome to do so. Well, because what's great about that is, imagine the person who walks into your home and says, "No, no, 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 you can only use the photo book or 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 you know uh, the pictures to tell the story. That's it. 
Like, and if it's not in those photos, it didn't happen. Exactly. Exactly. And and or, or vice versa. If someone says you can't use the photos and you can only go by lived memory, um, you know. So you know whether it's the one who says the Bible alone, or others who say I'm not going to read the Bible and I'm just going to try to go with whatever I remember from you know the homilies from Mass or something, right? And and once we put it in that context, it becomes clear. It's like no, like if we really want the fullness of this family's history, we need both. And of course, by application, if we want the fullness of God's words and deeds among his family, we need both scripture and tradition. I, I, I love that example. So we've got a, a couple of minutes left here in this segment. Uh, we'll talk about the book in the next segment in depth, but can you bring us to the place of deciding what you wanted to say about scripture in a way that took away some of the intimidation that brought you to the place where you're saying, this is a book that we need to write for today. Yeah. So, so first I think we're all right now indebted to father Mike Schmitz, who has done a phenomenal job mm-hmm. with the Bible in a year. And, and honestly, so much of other efforts, I think are other projects and books are, are, are really kind of spinoffs in, in many respects to the work that he's done. So, so kind of seeing the work that, that Father Mike did and then realizing that after that, if people did a portion of a year with the Bible or if they were able to actually complete it, there was this demand for more. And they wanted to kind of dive in a little bit more deeply into scriptures and seeing that need and really just witnessing this beautiful golden age of Catholic scripture study. I thought, you know, the thing I'm hearing most is people say, okay, well, what about this book? Or what about that book? Or sometimes maybe wanting a little bit more help in terms of how to see the scriptures as a living word. Like, how is this supposed to help me now? What, how is this more than just ancient literature? And it was these type of experiences that prompted me to say, I, 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 let me put a pen to paper and see if I can contribute in some small way to this amazing movement that we're experiencing right now in the church. Mm-hmm. What stood out to you maybe as a surprise in your own preparation for the book? I think the the prophets, once again, have just stood out. I mean, I've always loved the prophets. Uh, I think most of my uh, studies have been with the major prophets, the you know, the four major prophets. So I think really getting to know some of the minor prophets a little bit better, mm-hmm. and, and they're only called minor because their books are shorter. It's not that they're less important to our, our, our new Bible readers, right? So just getting to know them a little bit better and just being really moved by the love, like the, you know, to hear about the, you know, the restoration prophets like Haggai and, and, and others who are really just exhorting the Christian, the, the early followers of the, of God to, Hey, like, you know, let's rebuild this temple. Like, you know, you need to build your houses. Yes. But let's, let's rebuild the temple of the Lord and, and just see kind of the zeal and the passion for God. Um, that, that was very inspiring. Again, I, I, I love the prophets. And I thought I knew them, but by writing this book, I got to know the uh, minor writing prophets much more deeply. What about you? What has stood out to you as you have read through scripture recently? Is there a favorite book or passage that gives you strength or consolation? Come and tell me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on threads. The handle is step outside the walls as well. I'd love to hear from you as we are talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. He's a papal missionary of mercy, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, and the author of the new book, Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today, available on our Sunday Visitor Press. You can find out more information about Father Kirby, including where you to find him on social media over at fatherkirby.com. 
And don't go anywhere because there is so much more to this conversation right after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby, a papal missionary of mercy and author of the book, Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. It's available on our Sunday Visitor Press. We've got a link to that over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. So here we have, we've been talking about the the importance of scripture. We've been talking about how sometimes we get intimidated as we come to approach it. And I have to tell you, this book here is a very approachable introduction to the Bible as a whole, showing both the the overarching meta narrative that comes from it, and also helping you to get past all of maybe the long and difficult lists to understand what is the, at the heart of each book. So every book, every uh, has a has a chapter which is a couple three four five pages long that gives you an opening prayer a basic message that kind of hones in on the key thing to be looking for and maybe you want to do lexio with a book with that thought in mind that basic message in mind and a basic overview and an outline to help you understand the book all of that is well and good but then to the end what what difference does this make to me now? How is this more than just literature? Just something for us to understand what's the core message for the time that it was written and what's the core message for my time here. Uh, we're talking today with the author, Father Kirby. Thank you so much, Father, for joining us today. My pleasure, T.L. Always good to be with you. So let's talk about the format of this book. Obviously, there's lots of different ways that you can approach the study of Scripture. Uh, some people do it by author. They look at the the writings of Paul. Some people look at the, you know, maybe they'll do a single book study. Maybe they'll do a topical study. I know that aformed.org has a number of really good topical studies on the Eucharist or on a sacrament that help break out that topic with the totality of Scripture. Uh, but you're taking a um, Bible overview direction in this study <laughs> uh, and doing so in, in a very uh, approachable, very accessible, but that also means um, a very maybe lay level, popular level uh, writing here. Uh, what is your hope as someone approaches this book uh, that they will receive from it by the time that they get, let's say, halfway through it? Yes, yes. So, uh, as you mentioned, the, the structure of the book, um, let me just say it, it was a labor of love. It, it was, and authentically, it was a labor and it was one of love. Uh, love for the written word of God, uh, want love for uh, the people of God, because there's 73 chapters in the book and there's 70, 73 books in the entire scripture. And as you're describing, every chapter parallels a book of the Bible. And so you can imagine. Uh, the task of walking through each book of the scriptures and coming up with, okay, what are the main themes? Uh, what's that outline? What are some opening parts of people say, I don't want to read the entire book. I just want to read some of the main things. It's okay. How do I, you know, pull those out of the, of the particular scripture. And, 
and then the application, as you mentioned. So, so really, it was going step by step through each book uh, of the scripture, learning a lot myself, uh, being reminded a lot um, uh, of of parts of the scriptures I was going through it, but really just walking through it and and wanting to do that so that the takeaway that I would hope that people would have is that every portion of the scripture is a living word. Paul tells us the scriptures were given for instruction. And God speaks to us and trying to provide, I followed the same outline for every chapter. So point by mm -hmm. point, someone could just flip through a book, they see a basic outline. So if someone says, I, I really want to read this book, they can flip through the chapter of, of uh, understanding the Bible and find that outline for that book. And, and so the takeaway I'm hoping is that people realize how accessible and applicable the Bible is to our lives today that this isn't just ancient literature. This is actually the living word of God. By studying the the words and the deeds, the events and the people of the sacred scriptures, we are learning the ways of God. And so as these same experiences are played out in our own lives, we have now divine wisdom from the events and God's interaction with the holy ones through the scriptures to know, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be reacting. This is what I'm supposed to be learning. This is what is my role in this. And so it's, a, a, again, it's just this like living word. And I think if we, if we can get that into our minds, that when I speak, when I read the scriptures, God is speaking to me. I'm learning something. We we speak about pedagogy. It's it's a you mean a teaching style. If I learn the pedagogy of God, then as I play out and live in my own life, these similar events and these similar experiences and interact with similar people, then I have a template. I have wisdom to help me to know what I'm supposed to do and and what this is supposed to bring about in me or in the ones around me. And so I think that's the big part is the scriptures are accessible. We can do this with the people of God. It's it's God's the scriptures are, are God's love letter to us. And they apply to us today. That, you know, and, and if we get that, I think we'll find even a deeper love and even a, a greater momentum in terms of the current uh scripture study, uh the golden age of scripture study that we're finding right now in the Catholic Church. And you, you mentioned that you have the same format for every every book of the Bible. What what's interesting to me is you have books like Isaiah, which are massive that you have to to treat in a short amount of time. And then you have books like Jude, which I'm I'm <laughs> fairly certain that your outline is longer than the book. Uh, yes. And so I, I would imagine that that would have been a bit of a challenge of of trying to get <laughs> all of Isaiah into that format. And then oh, oh yes. And let me tell you, there were times where I get the Jude and I'm like, thank you, Jude. God bless you. <laughs> Yeah, not, not 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 seriously, but it was it was great to go from those larger books to the shorter books, and yeah. and what I try to do in the shorter books was to use some of those shorter books to give some more of the context, mm -hmm. uh, especially with, for example, the New Testament books, where you know First Corinthians is so heavy, Romans, especially the masterpiece of Paul. Like I, I'm just yeah. trying to address essential points so someone could comprehend uh, the book and apply it uh, to their lives. But but when you get to when I got to a book like uh, Jude or or Second John, which is the shortest book in the Scriptures, then I could use that extra time to kind of fill out some of the more context of the early church. So so I try to use that a little more creatively, but also not to overwhelm the reader. So sometimes yeah, like you know the chapter on Jude or or the letters of John would be shorter than 
you know, the chapters on other parts of the New Testament or other parts of the scriptures um, and, and just try to use it creatively, but also realize the the focus of the book is is to the neophyte, it's to the new Bible reader, it, it, it's, it's, it's to the layman, I, I mean that term generally. It, it's someone who maybe has listened to a few episodes of, you know, Year at the Bible, and we're like, oh, this is really good. Or, or maybe um, they heard a good homily that inspired them, or they picked up some Bible study from, you know, one of our many great Catholic publishers. And, and there was enough prompting where they said, I want to do something more, but 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 they needed something that would meet them where they were, you know, where they are, and 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 kind of help them. Like here, here's the outline. And 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 that's really what I was going for. You know, for, first and foremost, um, as as you describe. You know, uh, my bio uh, in the show, um, my first and foremost job, uh, my role, my vocation uh, as priest is as pastor. And, and so I'm in the trenches like, the, 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 you know, this is not some removed reflection. You know, this is walking with people and families, uh, seeing the desire to, to, to know the word of God wanting to read the scriptures, wanting to understand them, and, and, and not finding the best resources or maybe the most uh, digestible resources, you know. And also, you mentioned uh, I teach at Belmont Abbey College. One of the courses I teach there is Introduction to the Scriptures, right? So this these are freshmen. Sometimes I'm the first face they see in their college education because I sometimes teach in the mornings. So they walk in, here's this priest, and it's going to teach them about the Scriptures. You can imagine what I get. <laughs> Yeah. Right, you know, uh, most of them cannot answer the simple question: How many gospel books are there? Right, mm -hmm. good, good. Then we're off to a good start. We know where we are. We know where we where we began, and now we just take it step by step by step. And and at the end of the uh, semester, if they can describe basic aspects of the scriptures, I consider that a success. If they can begin to see that the scriptures are a living word of God that can help them in their lives as children of God, that's the greatest of success. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm going for. And it's definitely one of the focuses of the book. So if it helps anyone listening, you know, th this isn't an, an, an academic book. And, and to those who want an academic book, this is not necessarily the book for them. Although I, I, I do tell the academics, read one of the, the, the beginning books and see how you do, right? See, you know, see, see, you see, make sure you're, you're, you're still kind of, you know, connected a little bit, but, but this really is just a book for the people in the pews, uh, the people who, again, who've, who've had that first kind of taste of divine wisdom and, and they want more and they want a resource that's going to help them to get more. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that uh, the ability to interact with Scripture is something that Jesus expects as in his talking with the people of his day. He's expecting some fundamental knowledge of Scripture. And we see that. Uh, in a couple of ways. And the, the Mass helps us with that when it pairs the readings together, where we see echoes and phrases of the New Testament from the Old Testament, that if we don't spend time with the Old Testament, there's so much of the New Testament we will miss, right? And yet you address that some in the book here as well by showing this overarching meta-narrative. But um, the other aspect that that I think we sometimes miss is we Maybe for our to approach the scriptures, we start just by reading the mass readings, uh, and there's something beautiful about that. There's something uh, enriching about that. But I love that you've gone book by book here because many of these books, specifically uh, the the Catholic letters and the Gospels, were 
a continuous story and it's yep. meant to be heard. And sometimes it was heard in one reading. We even read in uh, the book of Nehemiah where they pull out the scroll and they read through the book of the law and the impact that that had on the people of God in that story. There's yeah. something I think essential about the both and. Yes, we should hear the readings as they're given to us in Mass, as they show those connections between Old and New Testament, but there's something really profound and powerful about hearing a book in its entirety, whether in one sitting or whether I'm going to sit with the book of Isaiah for a couple of weeks, right? Yes. That that your book gets to, I think, really well. And just by way, I've, I've told people here on the show many times that y'all should just start reading the the daily Mass readings, even if you don't go to daily Mass. But you should also take some time and just read the book that's in front of you. Absolutely. So, for example, uh, you mentioned Nehemiah, and, and we were going through Nehemiah at Daily Mass uh, just this past week. And, you know, to the person who's reading that and says, huh, this is interesting, maybe something, you know, um, you know, piques their interest or something that maybe causes some, you know, questions like, wait, wait what, what's going on? And they can pick up understanding the Bible and flip mm -hmm. to the chapter on Nehemiah and find there a very digestible, very approachable outline of Nehemiah. What's going on? What are the main themes? Uh, what is the purpose of this letter? How can this letter apply to us? And, and so definitely, I, I would say, uh, TL, that we, we, we need both. And, and I think that if the Christian is willing to commit that time, you know, then it's always a, a plus plus when we make time to, to, to study, to read the scriptures, because, you know, God's speaking to us. Divine wisdom is being given to us. You know, let me, let me give you a, an example just um, – some time ago, I was uh, teaching the Bible because I, I teach as pastor a Bible study every Wednesday to my people. About 200 people come on a Wednesday evening and we just break open the Word of God. And some time ago, we were talking about uh, the prophet Obadiah. So he's one of those minor writing prophets. And, you know, you first hear about this, you're like, Obadiah, and people are like, you mean what, like Obi-Wan? It's like, okay, no, no, that's something else. <laughs> you know, okay, all right. Star Wars has Obi-Wan, we got Obadiah, okay? Um, but uh, but just describing, and, and first people are like, you know, who is this and why is this important? And he's got this weird name. And, and, and immediately that makes us uncomfortable because it's something we don't know. It's something we're not familiar with and and but but begin to describe okay let, let's talk about Obadiah so you know breaking open that chapter and let's look at that outline and and showing you know the point of Obadiah was you know Obadiah is a prophet sent uh, to the Edomites and the Edomites were the descendants of Esau now Jacob and Esau were twin brothers early in salvation history so sons of um uh, uh, they were um you know, related to the to the elect families of the covenant family, you know. So, um, and, and we see this this these two twin brothers, and there's this whole history, and of course, the descendants of Jacob, or the Israelites, the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. Okay, and, and the Edomites, you know, are, are separate from the Israelites. But when Babylonia attacks, the Edomites do not defend Israel, but instead parallel and align themselves with the Babylonians in attacking the Israelites. And after the fact, God sends Obadiah to the Edomites to basically say, uh, I know what you've done, and I will not forget it. And there will be punishment because family is to defend family and brother is always to be with brother. Wow. 
Okay. Now, first, let me tell our listeners, uh, Obadiah is the shortest book of the Old Testament. Right. So this is like a page, page and a half, depending on font size. So someone can hear this and go and read Obadiah tonight, right? So when we look at that and say, what's the lesson? What's the application? Well, there it is, right? We, we all have family members we struggle with. We all have, you know, differences of personality and, and, and you know, dysfunction and, and so on. Um, but yet our family is our family, St. Paul tells us in Ephesians in the New Testament that every family receives its name from the heavens. And here to the prophet Obadiah, God is teaching us that family is supposed to support family. And I think that presents an examination of conscience for all of us. You know, that crazy cousin we don't like or the sibling we're battling with or the parent who's got their issues or whatever it might be. Again, pick your dysfunction, right? And yet we're being reminded by God through his prophet that we are to do what we can so the family can support family. So that's just one example, uh, a basic example that we can draw from in terms of there's the living word, there's the application, there's the divine instruction, there's divine wisdom, and what are we going to do with that? So again, this is just one of many examples we can keep going that definitely resonates. Well, when I shared that in my Bible study, I was flooded with emails later because this affects everyone. No one has a perfect family except Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, right? You know? right. And, and it's and, very and much— And even fun. they left Jesus behind at the temple. Right, right. I mean, so. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it resonated and touched people because, you know, sometimes we use a dysfunction within our family to give ourselves permission to do nothing. Or sometimes we've done our best and, you know, we, we realize that our hands are tied. And so whether it's, you know, uh, authentic conviction, whether it's misplaced guilt, whatever it might be, the prophet, the written word of God stirs things up in order for us to kind of give that examination of conscience to ourselves. Well, and regardless of where you are in that family side, like say that you are the person who has been on the receiving end, that you've been the one who was attacked and the one who had alliances against you as, as uh, the, the children of Israel did in this point. Uh, the punishment that was meted out by God on the Edomites, uh, for us today, we ought to be able to make sure that we are forgiving and make sure that we are praying for those who might otherwise uh, be uh, inviting judgment upon themselves, right? So there's a place yeah. for us, regardless of whether we are the offender or the offendee, in that examination of conscience. Yes, very much, yeah. very much. And 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 you know when we see this in in again the, what some might see is this obscure book of the Bible. Some maybe maybe have not even heard of Obadiah, right? Mm -hmm. And yet suddenly, very briefly in 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 the show today giving just a portion of that outline, suddenly it's perhaps unsettled us and mm -hmm. has posed this examination of conscience. Like, am I helping this family member enough? Am I providing defense for my my family? Have, have you know, and again, it, it just raises question, well, there's the word of God, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's like, you know, light coming in the midst of darkness, a grace coming in the midst of pride, and, and it's just rattling the cage and shaking us up. And to those who have open hearts, like we welcome that examination of conscience. Like, yeah. is this misplaced guilt? Like I've done my best. I can say before God, I've done my best to help my family. Or is this, you know, conviction? I, I know I could do more. I, I, yeah. I have, I, I'm, there are some sins of omission here, right? And, and again, it's just, that, that's just one example of how the word of God gets in there and 
shows us and teaches us and, and unsettles us and causes us to seek transformation by God's grace. Well, and in the little time that we have here, that's one of the the roles of Scripture is, yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and convicts us, but if we are not putting ourselves in a place where we can hear the Holy Spirit, we can continue on in our own ignorance, which is not helping us uh, move towards the beatific vision, right? So this putting the voice of Scripture, the voice of the apostolic authors, the voice of um, the Word of God into our minds and into our hearts gives the Holy Spirit something to work with in pointing things out to us to help us grow in holiness. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And you can see why we have the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Once we understand their role and what they can do, we understand, oh, this is why God has gifted us with these scriptures. Yeah. The book is called Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life Today. It's written by Father Jeffrey Kirby and available on our Sunday Visitor. We've got a link to that over on our social media. Father, Father Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. My pleasure. God bless you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Kirby, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can find a previous conversation we had with him, as well as extra segments that we make available to those who support the show through Patreon. Just click that Patreon link there in the menu bar of OutsideTheWalls.com to learn more about that support community and all the perks that come from being a part of it. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the Catechism, to the Fathers and Doctors of the Church, so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans there at the very end, Romans 16, where we hear this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations— according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That reading is the doxology, the closing of the book of Romans. And in this, as he's summing up all of the the theology that he's presented to the Romans, he closes it by saying, Scripture has been given to us according to the command of the eternal God, for the purpose of bringing about obedience of faith, because this mystery has been disclosed to us and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. This is the purpose of Scripture. It's the revelation. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ and a revelation of God the Father to us through the words of the authors of sacred Scripture. And this passage out of Romans is one of those cited by De Verbum, the dogmatic constitution on sacred scripture and divine revelation given to us through Vatican II. Uh, And this constitution is quoted heavily in that section of the catechism we talked about earlier that relates to to divine revelation, to sacred scripture. And this is going to be our reading today, these opening paragraphs of De Verbum. 
In his goodness and wisdom, God chose to reveal himself and to make known to us the hidden purpose of his will, by which, through Christ the Word made flesh, man might and the Holy Spirit have access to the Father and come to share in the divine nature. Through this revelation, therefore, the invisible God, out of the abundance of his love, speaks to men as friends and lives among them so that he may invite and take them into fellowship with himself. This plan of revelation is realized by deeds and words having an inner unity. The deeds wrought by God in the history of salvation manifest and confirm the teaching and realities signified by the words, while the words proclaim the deeds and clarify the mystery contained in them. By this revelation, then, the deepest truth about God and the salvation of man shines out for our sake in Christ, who is both the mediator and the fullness of all revelation. God, who through the word creates all things and keeps them in existence, gives men an enduring witness to himself in created realities. Planning to make known the way of heavenly salvation, he went further and from the start manifested himself to our first parents. Then, after their fall, his promise of redemption aroused in them the hope of being saved, and from that time on he ceaselessly kept the human race in his care, to give eternal life to those who perseveringly do good in search of salvation. Then, at the time he had appointed, he called Abraham in order to make of him a great nation. Through the patriarchs and after them through Moses and the prophets, he taught his people to acknowledge himself the one living and true God, provident Father and just judge, and to wait for the Savior promised by him, and in this manner prepared the way for the gospel down through the centuries. Then, after speaking in many and varied ways through the prophets, Now, at last in these days, God has spoken to us in his Son. For he sent his Son, the eternal Word, who enlightens all men, so that he might dwell among men and tell them of the inmost being of God. Jesus Christ, therefore, the Word made flesh, was sent as a man to men. He speaks the words of God and completes the work of salvation which his Father gave him to do. To see Jesus is to see his Father. For this reason, Jesus perfected revelation by fulfilling it through his whole work of making himself present and manifesting himself. Through his words and deeds, his signs and wonders, but especially through his death and glorious resurrection from the dead and final sending of the Spirit of truth. Moreover, he confirmed with divine testimony what revelation proclaimed that God is with us to free us from the darkness of sin and death and to raise us up to life eternal. The Christian dispensation, therefore, as the new and definitive covenant, will never pass away, and we now await no further new public revelation before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That reading comes from De Verbum, the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation from Vatican II. You can read that and other documents over in Verbum. Go to verbum.com to learn more. 
That's all the time we have today. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.